tears came to her eyes. Sweetest lady, and she said, it's just the greatest moment to be with him. And her husband is like backing away, like I've heard this. And I'm, now he's got anxiety over his Where wife. Is she, she can no longer go to work. She can no longer fix the meals. Doesn't have much of an appetite. She's losing it. And he said, go ahead and tell him about the, about the closet. She said, well, all of his things are still in the room. And, and I go in there and I just, I smell the aftershave on his, on, on his sport coat. And I just go from one coat to another. She was, I just took her in my arms. You know, and, and she just uh, wept. And let's call her Betty. I don't know. I forget her name. I said, Betty, your son isn't in the sunbeam. He, he, he isn't in the closet. He's gone. You're listening to the Reframing Ministries podcast, providing help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through pain. Here's our host, Colleen Swindoll Thompson. Hi, I'm Colleen Swindoll Thompson from Insight for Living, directing the Reframing Ministries department. More importantly, I'm sitting with my dad today. And we want to invite you into some conversations that we've had around the table a lot. It's often assumed that our family's rather perfect, which... No, no, we're talking about our family. (laughs) That's why we're having this conversation. (laughs) And right now, as we are recording this, we are in the midst of a quarantine and the COVID-19 pandemic that's been going on. But more importantly is we all struggle with... Fear and anxiety. Mm. And the Swindoll family is no different from where you are today. So we want to invite you into probably a table discussion. As we've talked around our table in the last few months, few years, about fear, anxiety, and how to handle that from a biblical perspective. So, Dad. Good. Thank you for doing this with me. You're welcome. Glad to share my fears with you. I'm so glad you will. I know that we have faced some pretty tough stuff. Yeah. And um, you've been in ministry 50 years now. Almost 60. Yeah, 50. Well, I was giving 50, you a break. Yeah, that's You good. know, don't count. Right. But almost 60 years of ministry. Yeah. And there still is a struggle or a battle with certain fears, certain anxieties that come up within our family that we wrestle with. Well, they are there, and they are fearful because often they're unexpected. You know, if you know something's coming, you can get ready for it. Uh, you can, you know, prepare in various ways. If it hits you out of left field, as most of them do, there's no way to prepare. So the unknown mixed with the um, never expected along with the, I don't know how this is going to turn out. Hmm. All that spells fear. I think, too, uh, fears are in various categories. Hmm. You know, there are fears related to people and things they can do and sometimes say. Then there are fears related to uh, events, plane rides, uh, uh, unexpected uh, burst of fire, or someone breaking into your home or apartment or hotel, uh, on and on. Those categories all spell somewhere between severe fear 
uh, a bit of fear and a mixture of anxiety, you know? Mm -hmm. the, the stress that goes with that. <clears throat> you know, one of the things that in studying fear and anxiety, it's often assumed that those are one and the same. And now with a son who has a global anxiety disorder, I've really studied what happens between fear and anxiety. They are very different. Fear is seeing something that's terrifying and a God-given response in our automatic response system says flee, fight, flight, freeze. I mean, we just, the blood leaves our limbs, it goes to our hearts, we start sweating. We start, so that's an immediate fear. Anxiety is a perceived concern over something that could happen. Hmm. And what's interesting is most struggle with anxiety, which is we don't know what's out there, but we think something is, so we carry with us this anxious feeling. Hmm. And when the Lord says, be anxious for nothing, it's also tied to um, transforming our minds. Because anxiety in the mind, when we think that's going to happen, or I know what the future holds. We don't know what the future holds. Mm -hmm. So we have to separate those out. Yes, fear is a response that God gave us, like an alarm system or a water system, you know, to fight off fires. Anxiety, however, is a looming sense of darkness. And when continued on, it can be crippling. And we've had both in our family. We have. We have. I got a call in my office one day. I was um, in a church in California, and I was told that uh, your sister had fallen from a pyramid formation in her cheerleading practice. She was the one at the top, and the girl at the bottom had somehow gotten a cramp or something and couldn't hold her position. She caved in, and everything fell, and Carissa fell, and snapped a vertebrae in her neck. <clears throat> well, the person on the phone said, you should come right now. Now, I don't know if that's anxiety or fear or imagination or what, but it was so severe, I, I had enough presence of mind to call your mother, mm -hmm. and she came from the Insight for Living office, and I came from the church, and when I arrived, Carissa was in a uh, what's called a papoose-type wrapping. And they had her, you know, strapped down like this. And she said to me, I don't feel anything. I, I can't feel anything. Well, this was not too long uh, after the Johnny Erickson mm -hmm. story had become known to everyone. And I could just see her paralyzed for life. It's funny. You, you don't see her heal from that. You see the worst case. Mm -hmm. uh, that's anxiety. That's fear. It's all of it mixed in there. And long story short, we went to the hospital. We were up all night there. And it's Saturday, naturally. Everything is Saturday <laughs> that happens like that. And uh, uh, it took a while for the feeling to come back. Thankfully, she's okay uh, but it, it was fractured. Thankfully, it wasn't the bad one that when that fractures, your quadra or paraplegic. And, uh, and she recovered. But I remember that uh, kind of a chill, mm -hmm. kind of a um, blinding um, uncertainty. Yes. And I, I don't right now even remember the drive over there. It was quite a drive from the church to where all of you went to school. And then when they uh, said, we're going to put her in the ambulance, that was our a first time for us, for one of the kids. And I followed that ambulance to St. Jude's Hospital where she would be for a while. That was one of those times. Now, that was different from the night Cynthia and I were staying in Cancun. 
Yeah, so that's the one I was going to ask you about. Pure, okay. So, well, I mean, any of them, because there's been a lot of them, but any of them. Yeah. What happened with that? Well, we were on the first floor, which was not far from the, uh, the water that would, you know, crash on the shore. Nice sound, and you enjoy that sound. And I'd been out on the patio that afternoon going over my notes. I was going to speak that evening at the gathering. And when I closed the patio door, I did not lock it. I just closed it, and we quickly went to dinner, and then I spoke, and we mingled with friends, and then we got back to room 930, and we turned in probably around 10 o'clock. And in the middle of the night, I, I can remember it like yesterday, mm -hmm. Cynthia screamed like a leopard caught in a trap, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, this is the way to wake up, you know. She is sitting up screaming, and I'm up wondering what's happened, and she said, there's a man, and a man had opened the sliding door and was standing in the doorway just like this, and and I could st I can still see the, the the wind billowing the curtains from around him. He didn't say a word, and I I had no weapon. I had nothing, uh, but a wet diaper, as I recall, <laughs> sitting there thinking, "What do I do?" One thing was certain: he was never going to touch my wife, whatever his plan was. He'd have to kill me first, and. And that wasn't likely because the, the adrenaline was really yes. squirting. Yeah, that's the fear response. Yeah, yeah. I got right up to his face, just like this, just right there. And I yelled as loud as I could, forget what I said, something like, get out of here, get something. And I could smell the alcohol. So it's clear that he'd been drinking. And the strangest thing happened. He didn't say a word ever. Dropped to his knees, started crawling toward our bed. So I blocked him, and I yelled to Cynthia, call 911, which she did, and he... Oh my gosh, it happened so fast. Oh, it, it, it's, it's like, maybe it did not take 90 seconds the entire episode. Mm -hmm. It's and like the earthquakes we used to have in California. They yeah, felt right. like minutes. They did. He's gone. Scoots out the door, jumps off the little seawall there, and uh, at that time, the knock is at the door, and it's security. We're staying in a very nice hotel, and they said they've never had anything like this happen. And uh, they looked for everywhere for him, and they saw his, you know, he was barefoot, saw his footprint on the sand down there, but said probably one of the workers, he probably was going to steal your wallet or whatever you had laying on the bureau. And... Uh, you know, your heart's pounding, yeah. mainly in your throat. And she, you know, you feel like you won't sleep for the rest of your life, having been frightened like this. Uh, anyway, we got some information from the security people. They were very kind, very efficient. And they closed the door. And we moved everything we owned in front of that sliding door. After, after locking it, we moved all of our <laughs> luggage. We moved a piece of furniture I mean, everything Jesus you couldn't to have gotten in that door. Everything you wanted to steal was right there then. <laughs> could have come back and gotten it all. Well, I, and I should mention, following a fear like that, you often have um, yeah. the fallout. The flashback. Yeah. The, yes. the, and you relive it. You, you lie down like you're going to go to sleep and your eyes are huge. And uh, that is, that, that's what I call, you know. Terrifying. Just terrifying fear. Right. Now, recently, we've worked through another situation where you were notified that someone was wanting to... Harm us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's been through growing up. We had that as well. I yep. remember you guys telling us how to do the alarm system. Right. I was told out in California this man was going to uh, do terrible things to my wife and two daughters and... And I had a man from LAPD check this note, and he said, this is uh, on the level. Mm -hmm. This isn't phony. They have ways of knowing that. Now, your mind at that time, when you got that word, 
because it's not someone in front of you. This is more anxiety related. This is right. an unexpected right. unknown. Never, fear. never knew the source of that. So what did you think when you first found that out? Were you? Uh, I first thought I need to tell you and your sister and your mother, mm -hmm. which I did. And then uh, I had a man who was my security that had been with LAPD, and uh, he came and informed me, first of all, do you have an alarm system? We didn't. Back then, it wasn't a big thing. Right. Well, we got one. I mean, a, a major alarm system, every window, every door, and whatever. Set it every night. Teach your children how to set it, and so on. And, uh, you know, I'm un unfolding, unrolling all of this. We started watching behind us if someone was following us. Never had done that in my life. It makes you kind of paranoid. I don't live suspiciously, you know. Until you go through something That's like right. that. That's right. Oh, well, yeah, these are the most important ladies in my life. And I'm thinking, who is this person? Do I know him? Do he obviously knows who I am and, and got that note to me. And it was a strangely written note. And anyway, n nothing ever came of it. But the fear that accompanies that is palpable. Mm -hmm. You go to bed at night, you think about it. I did for a long time. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you I did. did. Mm -hmm. I didn't want you to, but I couldn't not tell you. You needed to be informed. You needed to be aware. And your sister as well, Carissa, needed to know. Well, And we all sort of ran scared mm -hmm. for a while. But we realized we can't live our life like that. Uh, that's a certain kind of fear. Mm -hmm. And anyone who is, and I don't like to refer to myself as this, but kind of a public figure, there are people that just fixate on that. Mm -hmm. And you become their dad they never loved or always hated, or their coach that they never gave them a fair shake, or the sergeant from the military that, you know, was the reason for heartache and headache. And you're the you're the object of that. Anyway, uh you, you don't know. It's so much of it you don't know. Right. So that brings me to John 10, 10, the passage that I've had to hold mm -hmm. on to in raising John, uh -huh. who my son with disabilities has been in the hospital many, many times, was told by one doctor, probably won't make it through the night. And that's not only fearful, it's also anxiety producing yeah. because you never think, that you'll bury your own child. And I had no control over that at all. So the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And when it comes to our minds, everything has to change or we will live as victims, as paranoid control freaks. You know, we'll get alarm systems, then we'll get bodyguards, and then we'll get this. Mm. So, and you can never do enough. Ever. You can never finish the list. Right. And, and, and you know what he, you say, you made that statement that he comes to kill and destroy. Uh, he may not kill physically, but he'll kill your peace. He'll destroy your ability to rest. Mm -hmm. You want to take an afternoon to read a book you've been looking forward to, and, and all you can do is... is see your son's face on the page of that book. You can't get away from it. It lingers. It becomes an obsession. And then I have to say, because I've struggled with this, it becomes almost an addiction. You can become addicted to that fear or that anxiety of, I'm not doing enough. So the self-talk is important. And there's something called ANTS, automatic negative thought. Yeah. So in our brains, even though we're designed to have a fear response, which is good, what can happen is it gets taken to those ants. Then the automatic thoughts of, well, if he's exposed to this virus, if he's exposed to it, because he has an immune system disorder. And that negative reaction smears over other relationships. Yes. It isn't just with 
the object of your concern, right. it's it's your husband, or it's it's uh, it's friends. Mm -hmm. Before long, you're pulling your shades and double locking your doors and checking them at night, and going through all of that and thinking uh, uh, you're hearing things. It's, and you it's, do think that. Yeah, of course you do. So when yeah. we look in scripture, because the cliche is, well, fear is mentioned more than any other thing in the Bible. Yeah. You know, it's whatever. And I know that's true. We all know this. Yeah, the, the, most, the number one command is fear not. I know. And the yeah. angel Gabriel, his first words yeah. to Mary and to Joseph, do not be afraid. It's easy to say if you're the angel. Yeah, you're married. And you're looking up at this massive creature that's got <laughs> wings and he's glowing and he's... And he's you're being saying, told... Do not fear! <laughs> and you go, okay, okay. Okay, I'll sleep great yeah, now. Right. I'm pregnant, I could get stoned from that. Sure, yeah. I'm going to sleep great. Yeah. That doesn't happen automatically. So, lead us into how to calm one's system. Mm. How would you talk to someone who is at a hospital bedside, who is um, putting in an alarm system, who is starting to see things that they really aren't there, becoming a little paranoid. Well, I, I would go back to your first, the first part of your question, and I would uh, address this comment, uh, how do you talk to them? Mm. Um, I, I don't know that that's your first, best game plan to help someone in this condition. I'm so glad you said that. Well... Because they can't hear it anyways. Like you said, yeah. I don't remember what happened. Well, you know... You can't remember. Did talk ever really calm you when you're really anxious? You, you know what uh, calms you is the presence of someone who you know loves you, cares about you, and isn't giving you the answer from the back of the book. He's, he or she is, is there because they care. And uh, they, they, they want you to know they will do whatever you need done to help you through this. But they will often, if they say anything, it's, I've never had this kind of thing happen I have no advice, and I'm immediately relieved, especially true when you've lost someone you loved. Uh, the last thing you need is someone coming and spitting out verses and talking, 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 and, and you, you just can't wait till they leave. But how helpful is the one who sits beside you or maybe puts an arm around you or says, here's my number. And if you don't call me, I'm going to be calling you. So I'm available. It's not just, if, if you need help, call me. It's a, I really care, but I don't want to push in where I'm not welcome. So I would say one of the first things is that you make sure during times when their life hasn't come uh, apart, that you cultivate a few very close friends outside the family circle. And uh, by doing that, they, they are real friends. And so in the old story of fair weather friends, they're not that. They're not there to get something from you or because you're able to provide. Nope, they're there because they care. Because they want to be present. Sure. So sitting with someone in there, I never was comforted uh, through any of the of our own family situations by someone talking to me, mm -hmm. telling me, because mm -hmm. I can read that, I can know that. Um, I need to know that you care yeah. about my um, fears, whether they, or anxieties, whether they're valid or not. I just need to know that you care. Yeah. That's step one. And, 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 you know, people who do that mean well. Right. I am not suggesting that they're, uh, they're, they've got ultra, uh, uh, motives that are, that are in, impure or incorrect. 
And that's why they quote those verses, because they mean something. But rarely is a series of verses quoted in the ears of a, of a broken-hearted person going to land on both feet and take root. It, sometime a half a verse stated carefully and well with an application is just very, very meaningful. You know, when, when uh, real difficult times occur, you do funny things. Mm -hmm. you, uh, not funny, humorous, but strange. Mm -hmm. I got a call from a family, and they were concerned about their, their mother. Her uh, young adult son had suddenly died. She just adored him. And their concern was uh, her. They buried him, and uh, but the grief was working its way out in strange ways. Which it does. Sure. And we need to give people room for yeah, that. Yeah, I understand. I understand. And they said, if you could come, it, it may help just, just to have her know that you're here. And I said, sure, I'll be there. So I went and I, I found out soon from her husband, who was kind of wringing his hands and there were two other adult kids waiting in the kitchen, kind of looking at me through the door, staying out of the picture. And the husband said, what I'm concerned about the most is that she, she visits with him every morning. Visits with him. Now, e the easiest thing for a preacher is to land on that with both feet and give her you know, 12 reasons why that's wrong. God's going to take this test yeah, and, and turn it into a testimony. And right. And, and I said, tell me what he's talking about. She said, well, the sunlight comes in and, and he's in the rays of the sun. I, I, I know he's there. In fact, sometimes it shines right on his picture. Right there. And she straightened the picture. And tears came to her eyes sweetest lady and she said it's just the greatest moment to be with him and her husband is like backing away like I've heard this and I'm and he's got anxiety over his where, wife where is she, going? she can no longer go to work she can no longer fix the meals doesn't have much of an appetite she's losing it and he said, go ahead and tell him about the, about the closet. She said, well, all of his things are still in the room. And, and I go in there and I just, I smell the aftershave on his, on, on his sport coat. And I just go from one coat to another. And she was, I just took her in my arms. You know? And, and she just... Uh, wept. Everything was quiet for, I don't know, seemed like a long time, maybe three, four minutes. And let's call her Betty. I don't know. I forget her name. I said, Betty, your son isn't in the sunbeam. He, he, he isn't in the closet. He's gone. Well, how can you say that? I said, listen to me, listen to me. Yeah. I'm here to help you with reality. That's a hard thing to do because it sounds like I don't care. Right. I couldn't care more. That's why I'm here. But the longer you visit with him in the sunbeam or in his closet, the longer you're going to linger in your grief and the stranger you're going to get. I'm not a psychologist, but I will tell you, you're going to shut down. And she said, she said, um, I already have, haven't I? She looks at the family and they go, yeah. So she says, so what do I do? I said, first, let's just agree your son is dead. Oh, so hard. She just 
burst into tears. She just couldn't accept the reality of death. And I said it in other ways and tried to illustrate it carefully. And, and I said, you know, one of the best things you can do is when you're comfortable having someone help you with it, yep. clean out his room. If you want to give the coats to someone you love that can wear them, great. I'm sure they're still in great condition. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying a bright, sunny morning. But he's not in that beam. You know where he is? He's in the presence of his heavenly father. She just uh, paused and, and said, yes, he is. So I said, if, if he's there, then he's not coming back here to talk to you. You'll never hear his voice again on this earth. You'll see people that look like him, and you'll think it's him. Yeah. You'll see someone wearing a coat or walking like he once walked or dressed. But you've got to let that go. And, you know, in some ways, it's going to sound strange to say this, but I was kind of talking to myself because I'd lost a friend not long earlier, not much earlier. And uh, I need to hear that, too. Helping people go through it requires that you understand what, what that's like. There's a Scottish saying that says, things are better felt than telt. She needed to feel that I understood. Mm. You know, what calmed her, even though she burst into tears, but it sounds to me like the truth set her free. I'm glad you mentioned that. Two weeks later, it's like you were set up to say that. I'm walking down the aisle, as I often do, visiting with people right. at the church before we begin. There she sits. I haven't seen her in church for weeks. Right. She's here. Her husband's here. He's usually sitting on the end. She's on the end because she knows I'm going to be coming down that aisle. And her kids are down here and they're friends. And she goes, oh, Pastor Swindoll, come here. And she's like another person. And I walk over. And her husband stands up, and she stands up, and she just hugs me, and she says, I'm a different person. Oh, my God. Isn't that great? She says, I never told anybody, but I was going to the cemetery and talking to him at the, sure. at the stone there. She says, I no longer have to do that. He's with our Heavenly Father. And I'm to go on living my life, right? And I go, absolutely. I thought her husband would break my wrist, shaking my hand, and <laughs> thanking me and thanking me. That's I said, the offering please, plate. <laughs> please, you got to know I'm as thrilled as, as your family to know that she's brought out. Of, the relief was just magnificent. Mm. But that's the power of anxiety in a life mm -hmm. that you're describing. Mm -hmm. A little dramatic, but it does illustrate how it can take over. It can take And over. our imaginations are really fertile. Yes. Before we know it, we almost forget our names mm -hmm. and our responsibilities. And we're drilling into this all-important issue that we can't seem to resolve. I think one of the gifts that I have with... John, is that um, I've learned I can't talk him out of his anxiety. Hmm. I can't talk him out of his worries. What I can do is what's called contain. I can help contain him with being present, with sitting close to him. Yeah. Sometimes I'll rub his feet. Sometimes I will listen to music with him. Hmm. But you first gained her trust by listening, the woman that you were talking yes. about. Yes, You listened. She sees him in the sun. She sees him and she visits. And you didn't go, well, that's weird, or shame her. 
you were quiet. Mm. These are all things that we want to help equip you to do as well, because people will be coming in and out of our lives, people who have challenges and disabilities, mental health conditions that lead to a propensity to ruminate over these things. How do we... How do we care and minister and comfort? And the first is presence. And then the next is truth. You said he's gone. He's not coming yep. back. That's those are hard. tough. Those are tough words to get out of your mouth. That's awfully hard. For the woman who won't believe it. It's strange, but even though she's buried him, he, he's still there. Right. She's able to talk to him. For her to finally face the reality. That he's gone. But a statement I learned years ago, when a man or woman of God dies, nothing of God dies. And uh, as I said to her, your, your Lord is as real as ever. And he's touched with the feeling of your loss. Now, that's a verse of scripture, but I, I, I weaved it into the statement so that she didn't feel like I was delivering sermon number 33, you know. He's touched with the, the feeling of your loss. I say, he really cares. He cares more than I ever could. And the good news is he's there when I'm gone. When I drive away, your Savior is right here with you. And, and the wonderful news is your family is in agreement. He's the host in this home. He's the one who leads this family. And hard as it is to believe this, Your son's death was part of God's plan. Don't ask me to go much further because I can't. But there's mystery there. There's a profound plan we can't unravel. And that's okay. I'm thinking of, um, as we come to a close, I'm thinking of how the disciples must have felt when Jesus said, now I've come back to life and I'm going to go to be with my father, but I'm going to send the comforter, the Holy Spirit, Mm. to be of comfort to you. They hadn't walked through that time. They had just gotten their Savior back, whom they'd left all their work for. They were with him. He's Mm. back. You mean you're going to leave us again? Yeah. But through the power of the Holy Spirit comes peace. Yes. In fact, uh, there's a little theological statement in the middle of all of this that needs to be remembered. Some versions of the Bible even use the Greek word paraclete. I will leave the paraclete. And you read it like, what's that? Para means alongside. Kaleo is the verb that means to call. So the Holy Spirit has been called alongside. I didn't know that. So he's right there. As one of my mentors used to say, nearer still, nearer, nearer I cannot be. For in the person of his son, I am as near as he. In the heart of God, are his people, and he holds them close to himself. And uh, every ache, every every fear, every sudden jolt, every surprise, every fire, every flood, every tragedy, he's right there. He never left. And he has sent the Spirit of God alongside. Goes through it with you, gives you strength in the middle of it, takes you through it. And then, we haven't mentioned this, by having you go through it, you are equipped to help someone else. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yep. Who knows best how to help someone with a special needs child but Colleen? I don't have to tell you a thing. I just get out of your way. Because you know what they feel, how they feel, why they feel it, the frustrations. And that equips you then 
to minister, which is ministry at its highest level. I don't think we are equipped to care deeply unless we have been wounded so mm -hmm. deeply mm -hmm. and hurt. And those things that we fear are getting taken away from us sometimes are God's gifts yeah. to us. And yeah. that's hard to say because oh, it's yeah, so painful when he takes that away, yeah. that good dream, right. that, that good goal. That wonderful partner, mm -hmm. that incredibly gifted child. Yeah. Why would he do that? Yeah. But when you walk through that and get to that speak unspeakable level of grief, yeah. and you invite the Holy Spirit to come in, that has to be a choice. Because mm. there were a lot of times where I didn't. I would try and control it. Sure. But we have to invite him in. And then he fills us with that quiet peace that says, I understand. Hmm. I understand. You see, because many don't know this, and if you don't know Christ, some of this sounds strange. Um, how can someone come alongside or be near you or in you? As a result, you turn to drugs or a bottle. Uh, or uh, some other escape. And you think that's going to do it. And it does it till the impact of the bottle or the drug rubs off and wears off, and then you got to get more. But the Lord never rubs off. He never wears out. You know, as Corey Tin Boom's sister Betsy said, there is no pit so deep, but that he's deeper. Still, you can't go so low that he isn't waiting for you right there and never to shame you, but always to hold you close. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I know he feels so far away. Mm. And I think that's important to express as well. You and I have both been there. We both have felt like, how long do I have to pray this, Lord? You know? Are you on vacation? Yep. One thing about a great friend, you can say all of that, and they'll hear it without a sermon. Mm -hmm. They'll let you say it. Well, fear is capsizing, and anxiety can be as well. And I hope that as you've listened to our discussion, you've been able to hear understanding um, experiences that have been terrifying that we have gone through mm. but the call to endure that deep valley which will lead to equipping you or those that are close to you to be a comfort and to minister on a level that goes so deep and that's really the longing and desire that we have in these conversations. What you may not know is that Insight for Living has in the store um, downloadable PDF documents on fear, anxiety, emotional issues, the Christian life, mm. a, an array of topics just like this that will equip you to understand this is okay to feel this way. Yeah. It's okay to feel terrified and numb. But here's the truth that will also set you free. So mm -hmm. I want to encourage you to check out insight.org and go to the store that's online. You can download them immediately today, this minute. I love that. Instant gratification. And hopefully that will calm your um, fears and the anxieties that may have become an addiction, we can mm. become addicted to anxiety as well and forget the Lord is wanting to step in and free us up. I guess we could call that reframing, huh? It's exactly what reframing is. I have to do it all the time because I struggle so much with anxiety yeah. that I have to calm myself. Actually, I have to ask the Lord to come in and calm because every day is different. And... He does that if I sit in quietness. Yeah. You may not want to use this story. It may lengthen this too long, but i got to tell it. It's about your sister. Long time ago, Carissa had problems with her eyes when she was smaller. 
And one had a muscle ailment that caused it to wander yeah, a little. That. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it would wander out, sometimes it would wander in, and we had her in really thick glasses, and, and we knew that this can't continue. She's going to have to have some kind of surgical help. So we went to a pediatric ophthalmologist, and uh, he explained that when he goes in to work on the eye, he's, he has to work on those very, very small but important muscles that hold the eye straight, ideally. He said, now I may overcompensate, so we'll have to give it time, and hopefully the brain will bring it around so that she'll have clear, straight focus. And I, my first thought was, man, well, I'm paying you, man, that eye's <laughs> going be, to be straight as an arrow. <laughs> anyway, anyway, long story short, she goes into surgery, and Cynthia and I are right there, and I, I go into her room, and she's just barely coming out of anesthesia. And there's a line of blood right along her, her eyelash and, and blood running down here that I wiped off. And I just, I just knew when she opened that eye that it would just be exactly straight and it would heal. And when I, she opened her eye, it was mainly white. And the, the pupil was looking directly toward her nose. And I uh, talk about anxiety. I lost it. I lost it. And, and my first response was, uh, where is God in this? That was my thinking. I didn't yell that, but I thought that after all we had done and with the right motive and for the, with the right doctor, he's a superb doctor. And... Uh, a friend of mine knew I was struggling. His name was Bob Elias. Bob is a wonderful, he's gone now, but he was a wonderful artist. And I went to the church and hung a note on my door, don't disturb. Mm. Then another friend took me for a hamburger and we sat in a park. And while I was gone, Bob came, saw the sign, walked right past it, came in, <laughs> sat down at my desk and painted a picture of a monk. I've never told you this. It's a picture of, a, kind of a cartoon-esque picture of Martin Luther. Big old toes out in his sandals and robe. And I can just see him drawing tan. that. <laughs> yep. And on the side is written, did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Just ask who that may be, Christ Jesus. It is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. I love you. Put it on my desk. Didn't call me. Didn't go to my home. Left it. When I walked in and found that, I sobbed. Not only because it's true, not only because I needed to hear it, but because it said, he really cares. Carissa's eye began to straighten. And now, just as straight as they can be. <laughs> and he won the battle. And I learned a lesson. Yeah. Well, since I'm crying right now, I think we can close in prayer yeah. for those who are longing for that kind of touch. Lord, uh, we are so limited and we don't even know 
those who are viewing this today and in the days to come. But the great thing is we know you and you know every one of these, every need and every solution. Sometimes you wait, sometimes you act, and sometimes you simply say, no, that's not my plan. So give all of us the grace to walk with you as you send your spirit alongside to comfort us regardless of what your answer may be. And in the process, reframe us so that we are different people as a result of the things you teach us. For the best lessons are learned through pain. Colleen and I ask this, believingly, in the name of Jesus, our Savior. You can find the show notes and referenced resources in the podcast description or on our website, reframingministries.com. If you were impacted by today's conversation, I would be so thankful if you rated and reviewed the podcast, shared it on your social media, or share it with some friends who you think would be touched. You can email me personally at reframingministries at insight.org. If you'd like to be updated on reframing's activities and content, please feel free to subscribe on our website. Thank you again for joining us today at Reframing Ministries. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know in the comments on our website. Our desire is to provide biblical help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through unique and challenging segments in life. And in order to provide for more people, we love your support through prayer, sharing this content with friends, and partnered support. Reframing Ministries and Insight for Living Ministries operate entirely and only on your generous gifts and donations. You can partner with us and donate to Reframing Ministries through our website. The Reframing Ministries podcast is a production of Insight for Living Ministries.